0: Article uh, on online just a few days ago. Uh, it was it was on the, the the BBC Future website, and it it talks about uh, well the, the article is entitled How it feels to live in darkness. Let me le- let me read you just a couple of excerpts from this uh, particular article. And as I read this, I think this might help you get a sense of where we're going to go when we read the scripture this morning and what's going to be you know one of the themes and if you've not guessed it already then i'm sorry i'm not going to, be able to help you much more but one of the themes is very very clear in the particular passage that we're that we're reading today uh, so this this comes from the bbc future website it's an article from uh from 2060 i'm just going to read a few paragraphs i know there isn't one dot of light but I frantically scan the pitch black area surrounding me out of habit none the less. As I shuffle slowly through the carpeted hallway, clumsily swinging my long cane in a small arc the way the guide instructed a minute ago, I can hear the sounds of exotic birds, the rustle of wind through the trees and a babbling brook just around the corner. After stumbling through a doorway, the flat carpet suddenly gives way to a hill covered in rocks. The breeze hits my face, and the cacophony of an artificial forest is everywhere. Okay, kids, we're in the nature now. What can you find? Says our 45-year-old uh, guide, Mayor Matiyahu, who lost his sight shortly after birth. I found a tree, shouts an 11-year-old girl visiting with her family from New York. I'm still lagging behind the group, standing a few feet from the entrance on the bumpy mound that imitates earth, trying to get my bearings. Now that I know there are obstacles, I'm worried that if I take another step, I'm gonna walk directly into a tree. (coughs) Finding your bearings without vision can be difficult for sighted people, but the brain can learn to pick up other cues from other senses this is just the first room of seven at the dialogue in the dark exhibition at the children's museum in holon israel more commonly referred to as the blind museum and one other snippet from this article as people go through this museum sighted people within minutes they find themselves horribly disoriented to the extent, as the author writes, some people become so disoriented and unfocused that they can't even tell the left from the right. How does it feel to live in darkness? Let me read from John chapter 3. I'm going to read the first I'm actually going to read the first 21 verses of this particular passage and we're going to encounter a man who comes to Jesus in darkness and how Jesus addresses him in the darkness in which he finds himself. John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. We know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to be God. God. Over the next few weeks we're going to have the opportunity to look at some uh, encounters of Jesus with, with particular characters in, in John's Gospel. It's actually where the, the our lectionary is taking us uh, 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 throughout this, this season of, of Lent. And it's quite remarkable the different characters that we're going to have the opportunity to meet over the next few weeks. Um, we, we first of all meet this character, Nicodemus, who is, as, as the passage tells us, he is a ruler of the Jews. He is a, a Pharisee, he is someone who is in the higher, uh, the highest—not just higher, but highest upper echelons of his particular society, of his particular uh, culture. He is uh, at the very top uh, rung of who and what he can be in Jewish society. He is the character that we are going to encounter today. And as we dig into the passage, we, we find out more about his particular situation, and even although he's at the top of the rung, he comes to Jesus in a particular state and in a particular way. Uh, next week, we're going to have the opportunity to look at a woman uh, who comes to Jesus, a Samaritan woman, someone who is not even part of Jewish culture. Uh, She's a Samaritan, she's despised, she's hated. Her whole people are despised and are hated. And we're going to see how Jesus encounters this particular person. So we go from one who is at the top to someone who is a nobody. They're not even part of society. Then the following week, we're going to have the opportunity to look at someone uh, who is blind. Uh, And and this, this is a theme that we see again and again right in, in, in John's Gospel, light and darkness, sight and blindness. So we're going to encounter a blind man and see how Jesus deals with this blind man. He's someone who's, uh, he's, he's not, certainly not the upper echelons of society. He's certainly not entirely outside of society, but we find a man who's sitting as a beggar uh, who needs to be given sight in order to become a full part of his culture and society. And then the final uh, the, the final uh, encounter that, we, that we'll see is from John chapter 11. It's not the top of the top. It's not someone who's out and out. It's not someone who just needs something to be able to participate. We find Jesus encountering a dead man. It's the story of Lazarus. And what happens when Jesus and encounters Lazarus and when into the midst of death Jesus speaks Lazarus's name okay so those are the four encounters that we are going to to discover and it may very well be that you find yourself in one of those particular encounters it may well be that you find yourself in one way shape or form in all four of these particular Encounter. So today, we're going to start by looking at this character who is called Nicodemus. Well, he is described, uh, John describes him for us in two ways. Uh, he's a Pharisee, and he's a ruler of the Jews. Well, most of us who've ever read any of the Gospels are familiar with this word Pharisee. And for most of us, the Pharisee is someone who's very, very negative, right it's 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 the the scribes and the pharisees uh they are the ones who the gospels paint as being jesus enemies right the way that we read the gospels we we see them as being the ones who are are um always trying to bring jesus down okay but who really are the pharisees what does the word pharisee mean how do we how do we get a sense of who these pharisees are Well, the Pharisees are those who are described, well, the word itself uh, describes who they are and what they are. The word itself means the separated ones. They are those who are entirely set apart. They are, if you like, in a class of their own. And uh, the history books have shown that at any one time, there are only ever 6,000 Pharisees. So it's a pretty exclusive group, right? There's only 6,000 of them that are a very elite body. And Nicodemus finds himself as one who's part of this very elite body. Now they understood that the law contained, now the, the, when I talk about the law, I mean the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was, uh, that was called the Torah. That was described as the law of God. And that contained everything that was absolutely necessary for life and for faith. And and they maintained that if the law doesn't state something explicitly, then it had to be inferred. So what they did was they spent their time codifying the law. And they went from ten commandments which I think most of us are familiar with, from, uh, from Genesis and from, Deuteron- from Exodus and from Deuteronomy and from, uh, from, from Leviticus, you've got these 10 commandments that the law begins with, spoken by God. Uh, they took those laws and applied them very, very specifically to every imaginable situation in life. So the law went from being living, uh, in, a, in, in a way that was generally pleasing to the Lord to trying to keep the law that God had laid out in the form of the Ten Commandments to being something that was made up of literally thousands and thousands of, of pieces of minutia that had to be adhered to to the letter. And this is the scribal law and it's codified in, uh, in a work called The Mishnah. You may, some of you may have heard that. Um, uh, it's, it, it lays out every single piece of the law. And for them, a right relationship with God, salvation, being, in a, being being made right with God was something that was up to me, myself. I had to keep every single detail of the law in order for me to be right with God. It wasn't God's job to make me right with God. It was my job to make and to keep myself right with God. That's where, that's where Nicodemus was coming from. Okay, That's exactly where he was, was coming from. So he was a Pharisee. 6,000 elite body. But it also says that he was a member of the, the Jewish ruling council. That's called the Sanhedrin. There were only 70 members of the Sanhedrin and they were essentially the supreme court of the Jews they had religious jurisdiction over every Jewish person in the world and there were only 70 of them so that's why I say that Nicodemus was at the top of his game he was at the highest rung he was a Pharisee and he was a member of the sanhedrin so when he comes to jesus and it says in john's gospel that this particular man when he came to jesus it says he came to jesus by night now that's significant that's significant for all kinds of reasons if you spend any time looking at john's gospel you'll see that that John's Gospel tells a a story on the surface that can be taken very, very literally. Okay? Um, The the events, the details that John lays out, they're put forward as a type of, of history and they're put forward in such a way that you can read the story, you can read it on a surface level and you're good to go. But the other thing that John does is he layers His story. He layers his ideas. He layers his concepts. So when we find a phrase like Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, we can come to a few different conclusions. Well, first of all, uh, he comes by night. We can take that very, very literally. He he comes in the night. Now, why would he do that? Well, he would do that for a number of reasons. First of all, he would do that because it was at night that uh, rabbis typically taught. It was after the sun had gone down. Many, most of the rabbis, they had trades, they had work, they had jobs that they had to do during the day. And it was at night that their disciples would come and that they would learn from them. Okay, so this is a situation in which Nicodemus comes by night. He's recognizing that Jesus is a teacher. He's recognizing that Jesus is is someone significant, someone from whom he can learn from. That's the first thing. He comes by night. The second thing it could point to is that Nicodemus comes by night because uh, at night you come under the, the cover of darkness. And perhaps Nicodemus doesn't want anyone to know that he's coming to talk with Jesus. He's someone who's convinced of who he is and what he is doing. At least that's the appearance that he is giving the way that he is living his life so he comes to jesus in darkness because he doesn't want anyone to know that perhaps he is questioning that perhaps he has some real questions that perhaps he's not as convinced as he seems to be and that leads us into a different way of understanding darkness right because it's not just the the time that we see it's the nature of darkness When it says Nicodemus comes at night he comes in his own night he comes in his own darkness he comes from a place of darkness perhaps it reflects the fact that he is confused he's coming as we would say in the dark he's coming he's in the dark there's a lack of understanding he sees something of who jesus is he sees the signs and he wants to try and understand them more fully he's seeking to understand from a human perspective to try and enhance his own understanding of who jesus is his own understanding of who god is and so he comes in the dark his own fear his own confusion Isn't that the way that some of us often encounter God? We come in our own darkness. Perhaps we come with our own fear. Perhaps we come in our own confusion. Perhaps we come in our own brokenness. Our own sin. Perhaps we come because we're completely and totally lost in this place of utter darkness, like the museum in Israel. We're we're straining our eyes to try and see a glimpse of light, and there is no light to see whatsoever. And so when the terrain changes from carpet to rubble, we pause, we hear the sounds And we know there's much more out there, but we approach that other with confusion and with fear. And that's how Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And it's interesting, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, Jesus essentially lays out for him three different challenges. First of all, he challenges him to change his perspective. That's the first thing that Jesus does. As a Pharisee we've already talked about the perspective that Nicodemus is coming from and Jesus essentially says to him you've got to change that perspective if you, if you want to understand the kingdom of God. If you want to see the kingdom of God, your perspective, the way that you look, the way that you understand things has to be utterly transformed. You notice what Jesus said in verse 3 unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God it's all about ability unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God unless one is born of water and the spirit he says in verse 4 he cannot enter the kingdom of God a very very simple thing if I take my glasses off I look around, I know who you are, I know who who most of you are here today, but if I take my glasses off, my eyes start to go a little bit crossed, and I can see, I know there's people there, but unless I knew who you were, I couldn't make out who you were at all. My vision is very blurred, it's very blurry, and I have a hard time discerning who's who and what's what. If, uh, Chris, you were to hold something up for me to read, there would be no way that I could read it by any stretch of the imagination. When I put my glasses on, everything changes. There's clarity. I can begin to see things much more clearly. You've got to change the way that you see things. You've got to change your perspective. That's the first challenge that Jesus gives to Nicodemus. A change of perspective. The second thing is Jesus uh, challenges him to a change of status, a change of status. He says to him, quite literally, you must be born again. Well, the word for being born again essentially has three meanings. It has three meanings. The Greek word is anothen, anothen. First of all, it can mean something that's totally new, a brand new creation, something completely done from scratch it can mean again for a second time not just something utterly from scratch but something old that's been transformed something old that's been renewed and it has a third meaning that can mean from above in other words something that comes from god these are the three essential meanings of that particular word. And one of the things that we find in John's gospel is when John uses a word, um, sometimes, in fact, most often he doesn't use a word exclusively in its meaning. When John uses a word, very often you find that the word that he uses contains the whole breadth of possible meanings in a particular word. Totally new for a second time from above. From God. But when Jesus uses this phrase, you must be born again or you must be born from above, for some reason Nicodemus goes into shock and horror because he, for whatever reason, brings up a very literal image of being born again. He says, how in the world can a grown man climb back into his mother's womb in order that he might be born. It's a a horrible graphic image that Nicodemus gives us here. And this reflects the horror that Nicodemus feels on a number of different images. Because we've already seen that Nicodemus is in the upper echelons. He's one of 6,000. He's one of 70. And what Jesus is saying to him you've got to become like a child again. Essentially, you have to unlearn everything that you have learned. For a Jew, uh, in that particular time, um, becoming like a child again was something that would have been horrendous in and of itself. Children were marginalized, they were outside of society, they weren't a part of society yet. So, what Jesus is essentially saying to him is all that you've worked for is for naught. You've got to start again. You've got to start again. You've got to become like a child. Everything needs to be renewed, everything needs to be fresh. So, a change of perspective. A change of status, and then Jesus speaks to Nicodemus of a third change, a change of life. We find there's a, a quite an interesting play on words that Jesus uses here in this particular passage. Uh, the, he he says the wind blows where it will. The wind. The word for wind in Greek is pneuma. The word for spirit in Greek. Is pneuma, wind, breath, spirit? It's all the same word. He says, You can see the effects of the wind, even though you don't understand the wind, even though you don't really know where it's coming from, even though you don't know where it's going. You can see what it does, you can see its power, you can see its effect, and so it is with the working of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, You have to become like the wind. His life. Has always been ordered and structured and clear he's had a faith he's had a salvation that's been based entirely on his own working on his own efforts he had worked hard for this he had it all mapped out he had never had to take any risks and what Jesus is saying if you change your perspective by changing your status then your life is going to change your life is going to be a life in the spirit your life is going to be like the wind you're no longer in control of your own destiny god is you cannot earn it it all comes freely from god you can't assume the way that you've got it worked out is right god is the one who calls you to take risks of faith not in your own ability but trusting in him See, here's the difference that there is between one who is in Christ and one like Nicodemus who relies upon their own strength and their own ability. Here's here's the difference. It's the difference between simply discussing the faith and actually experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says it's fine and it's good and it's noble and it's lovely to discuss the faith, but if that's all you do, then you would just be as well talking about the price of bread or today the price of hand sanitizer. Christianity is a living faith. It's not just something to be discussed. It's something to be lived. And it's something to be experienced. Well, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us today? Let me read to you a verse from... The end of the passage that we read from John chapter 3 and verse 21 says this, Whoever loves the truth will come into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what has been done, has been done through God. God calls us to leave behind all our preconceived ideas, all our preconceived notions of who or what he is, and to allow him to enter and to transform who we are. From the very center of our being he calls us to look at things through his eyes he calls us to change our status and put ourselves in positions that we might rather not be in and he calls us to allow him through this change to have our lives so transformed that we may truly see and enter the kingdom that God has prepared for us In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our hymn is 774. That is